Welcome in, everybody, to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. About 24 hours away. Right now, we're about 25 hours away. So midway through the show, we'll be right at 24 hours away from Thursday Night Football, Carolina Panthers, coming to Houston for the second time in three years. Came here in 2019, a team that finished uh, 11-5, 10-6. Won a division, Panthers beat them. And that was a Panthers team that wasn't very good uh, by the end of the season, was not very good at all. And even though Christian McCaffrey was very, very good that year. And he was very good against us in that particular game. The Panthers bringing the number one defense in the league to Houston. Going to be a tremendous test for Tim Kelly, Davis Mills. Everybody on the offensive side of the ball has got their hands full. We'll talk about that and then some on this show. Because we're going to hear from David Culley, Nick Casario. Got my keys to the game. We are also going to hear from Mick Mixon when we go men behind the mics with Mark Vandermeer. He is the longtime play-by-play voice of the Panthers. He is retiring at the end of the 2021 season, and he is a wonderful human being. And Mark had a chance to catch up with him. Kristen Balboni, who covers the Panthers for Panthers.com, is going to be our Enemy Sidelines interview of the week with DP Sidhu. So we got that. We've also got Drew Doherty and I doing a little in the lab as we get ready for this one and we'll close the final word with David Johnson. I always give that final word to Drew Doherty. Uh, he somehow pulled the longest straw out of the hat a couple of years ago and I've just have gone with it. David Johnson, you're going to hear from him and talk about this game against the Panthers. So we got plenty to do. So let's kick it off as we do each and every last show before a game. Usually it's Friday. Game on Sunday, I put it on Friday, but I always have got to day before the game. So being Wednesday before Thursday game, we got to hear from your head coach of the Houston Texans, David Cully, who sat down with Mark Vandermeer and talked about the short turnaround and the Panthers. Coach, let's talk about this Panthers game. How do you feel about the preparation? Short week. You've been through this before. It's a unique situation. It is, Mark, and I'll tell you what ends up happening is that there were a bunch of plays that we didn't use in this past ball game mm-hmm. that we practiced all last week, well, we're going to use them this week. And uh, we don't have time to really put in a, uh, a lot of other stuff to basically specifically for the opponent that you're mm-hmm. playing because the time is not there. So basically we'll take those plays and, and, and we'll move on and we'll use them. And we feel like, although it's a different opponent, that the plays that we had up, whether we're playing the Cleveland Browns or the Jaguars or whoever it may be, those plays are good against all. And, and basically – Obviously, we're just not able to be able to game plan like you normally game plan an opponent. Well, you've been very clear that you feel confident in what Davis Mills is able to do based on what you've seen in the preseason, right? And he got that second half in against the Browns, which is bound to help him. Well, I'll tell you what the really good thing about that, Mark, was this. After those first two series, mm-hmm. one series was we were three and out. The next series, we were at an interception. Mm-hmm. He comes back in again, he takes us and takes us down for a score when we needed to get in the end zone. And uh, – had we gotten a situation again to get it back, we end up getting it back. He got us down there again in a position to be able to kick a field goal to possibly put the game where we could kick an onside kick to possibly get the, get the ball again to be able to go in and score and try to tie the ball game up. So I thought his last two series in that ball game was very encouraging with handling our offense. We always talk about defenses being aggressive, but the Panthers seem extra aggressive, Coach. That's their mentality. Uh, 
their defensive coordinator. That, that's been his philosophy. He comes from college. He, he, he's been with Coach Rule before, Coach Snow. You know, and, and that's always been their philosophy, and that's the way they play the game. And, and they're doing a very, very good job of it right now. But, uh, Mark, from the other side, every, play, every, every time you play in this league, you're going to play a defense that basically going to kind of feel you out and kind of see what you're doing. This defense right now, from what we've seen, basically from the way they start the game to the way they finish the game, what you see is what you're going to get. What about what we see in the Carolina Panthers offense and how you might try to attack them defensively? Well, obviously they've got a, a, a quarterback in Sam that uh, has had two good games for him right mm-hmm. now. They've got uh, Christian McCaffrey, the running back, that's a very versatile back. He's one of the most versatile backs in this league. They do a great job of putting the ball in his hands. He's very good when he's got the ball in his hands. They've got some good guys on the perimeter that uh, that they use to uh, basically keep things balanced out. Uh, it's a very balanced offense. Uh, it's an offense that's been successful. It's an offense that when you turn the ball over, they have had a history of taking advantage of it. And I think in the – the Saints game that they had, I think the Saints turned it over two or three times and they end up having scores off of that. So, obviously, they're an opportunistic kind of offensive football team too. So, it's very important for us to protect the ball. On special teams, how do you determine whether to kick it through the end zone or go for the short kickoff return opportunity? So, the touchback or we're going to test it here and see if we can hold them inside the 25. Mark, a lot of that has to do with who's back there returning. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've got a returner back there uh, – uh, that we first game Agnew, we, mm-hmm. we did not want him touching the ball. So our 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 game plan going in was to kick it out of the end zone. Uh, this past game we had a guy back there that was a rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically wanted to test him, and there were times when we we uh, kicked it to him and wanted to bring it out to try to get him good field position and not let him get to the twenty five yard line. And I think it's a game plan thing, be, depending on who is back there returning. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck against Carolina. Appreciate it, Mark. Now, with this game a little over 24 hours away, we got to figure out who's in, who's out, and what's been happening. So let's start with transactions first because there have been a few over the last couple of days. And this typically is our first all-access show. Uh, I take it back. We had all-access show on Tuesday night with DP and Mark. But this is the first one typically where we would get the injury report uh, for the first time. Well, we are now at the back end of it. This is what we typically do on Friday as the game Thursday. couple of transactions, though, before we get to that injury report because they're all sort of tied in together. And the first one, and this came down, I think, yesterday, late last night, potentially. Two Texans going on injured reserve. They hooked up on the first play of the game on a big Pass play, catch and run, throw from Tyrod Taylor, the catch and run from Nico Collins. Those two going on IR. Nico with that shoulder, Tyrod with the leg injury, thigh, quad, hammy, who knows what. It's a leg injury. We know that. Those two going on IR. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that we will not see those two for a minimum of three weeks. So week three, week four, week five, the earliest they could come back would be for game six, which would be Indianapolis, I believe at at Indianapolis. That's the earliest they could come back. So with some machinations and moving things around, the Texans moved Anthony Auclair up to the active roster. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. Auclair has been in the game a lot the last two weeks. He was on the practice squad. Yeah, it was one of those deals where he was on the practice squad. 
and they were bringing him up. They would put him back in the practice squad. They would bring him up. At some point, they were going to have to make a decision whether they were going to bring him up for good. Well, this sort of pushes Anthony up to where he already is. So Anthony Auclair moves to the active roster from the practice squad, opening a spot in the practice squad for Hardy Nickerson Jr., the linebacker who spent preseason and training camp with the Texans, comes back to the Texans. So, Nico, Tyrod, out for three weeks, at a minimum as they go to IR. Anthony Auclair to the active roster. It's not going to be that day of game sort of thing, and I'm going to get to that in a second. And then Hardy Nickerson to the practice squad. Now, let's get to the injury report, which a couple days before, or a day before the game ends up being a status report. Texans have two players out. Now, keep in mind, I just told you Nico Collins won an IR. Danny Amendola is out. Also out is Terrence Mitchell in the concussion protocol. So, wide receiver and corner, yeesh, a little dicey. Because you traded Roby, you now have Mitchell out. Those you thought were going to be your two starters heading in to the season. So Vernon, who has played pretty well over at one corner. Uh, and then, oh man, you've got options of Tremont Smith. You have an option of uh, Jimmy Moreland. You don't have a ton of depth over there. If you got in a pinch, even though I don't know that you'd love it, you could put Desmond King over there. He's played corner before. But I think they'd rather keep him at the nickel because he is that much more valuable at that particular position. So Danny Amendola out, Terrence Mitchell out. Now, they're the DB part of it. There might be one, and I'm trying to think if there would be one on the practice on the uh, uh, on the practice squad. You have Cravon LeBlanc on the practice squad. He could get a move up the day of. You know, one of those practice squad to active roster day of movement that can happen. Uh, you also could get one from the receivers. You got Chris Moore, you got Jordan VC. Those two guys are both uh, on the practice squad, and they could potentially move up uh, for this week with the void of uh, Nico Collins. You also have got Anthony Miller. Now, Anthony uh, was inactive. He'll be active because obviously Danny isn't out. So that's kind of a one for one sort of switch that you'll have Anthony in there for Danny. But at corner, you're probably going to have to bring one up from the practice squad. And receiver, you're probably going to have to bring one up from the practice squad. Those are probably going to be the two you bring up, is my guess. Now, you can only bring up two. And one of them has got to be Joey Sly. Because I think he's still on the practice squad unless something happens with a transaction. So, you got a lot of moving parts going on right now because of the injuries that you had in such a short time frame. Uh, to get there. Now, a couple players are questionable, and these are key for the Texans because I think they're probably the players over the two weeks that are probably, if you said who are the best defensive players on this team, you undoubtedly would say Justin Reed's been that guy. He's questionable with that knee. And one of the others, if you said, I don't know, uh, if you said Christian Kirksey, you would follow up with Kamu Grugier Hill. Uh, I think KGH has been very, very good. He's also questionable with the knee. Those two going to give it a go. We'll see. It's a short time frame. So at safety, if something were to happen, Justin couldn't go, then you go Terrence Brooks. You got Lonnie Johnson back there. You still have got, uh, obviously, Eric Murray, uh, who got a little dinged up, but he did go back in the game against the Browns. So you got those three at safety. 
Um, so, look, there might be some some movement from the practice squad to the active roster there, too. You got J.O., Jonathan Owens down there in practice squad. So, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how the Texans handle it. There's only so many holes, uh, as you would say in the dike, that you can fill. So, there's going to there's gonna spring a leak somewhere. You just got to hope that that leak is small, that you fill the bigger ones, and we'll see what happens. Now, for the Panthers, they pretty much, from an injury standpoint, look pretty good. Etor Gross Matos defensive end is going to be out, but Cam Irving, Morgan Fox, J.C. Horn, those three starters will be in the lineup. They were full participants back in practice. Uh, so you've got three players out of this one, Danny Amendola, Terrence Mitchell, and Etor Gross Matos for the Panthers, but everybody else in the Panthers uh, looks, looks pretty healthy. Uh, and that's, <laughs> look, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but that kind of, stinks honestly it really kind of stinks the Panthers are coming in here probably about as healthy as they could be um and and look the Texans were I would say relatively healthy going into the Browns game and then man the the physical aspect of that game kind of took over so you've got some decisions to make like I said I would imagine uh at the receiver position you'll have Brandon Cooks Chris Connolly Anthony Miller, Andre Roberts. I would imagine you'll probably bring another one. Um, I would think at defensive back, at safety, you've got with Terrence Brooks, Eric Murray, Lonnie Johnson, you've got those three. Might you bring another one there? Maybe corner. Corner is probably one you might look at a little bit more. Again, Desmond King could play corner. Uh, he could also play safety too. Now, he is the nickel for this team. Uh, and that kind of encompasses both safety and corner. But if you got in a pinch, I think he could play one of those positions. Hopefully you don't get in a pinch. Um, you have Tavier Thomas who can also play the nickel. So if you want to move Desmond King a little bit, you can do that. So there are obviously some things that are going to be happening uh, over the next 24 hours as we get ready for this game against the Carolina Panthers. Boy, what a squad this is. Now, we had the opportunity to sit down with Nick Casario and talk about a little bit of what happened in Cleveland and a lot of what's going to go on Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers. Nick Casario, your GM, is next right here on Texans All Access. I am calling all my Houston area teachers out there. Are you ready to bring Texans football to your classroom. Yeah, I know you are. Then I need you to sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Just go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Now, I'm biased towards the teachers. My parents are both teachers. I was a teacher uh, for a bit. And anything that I can do to help out teachers, I'm going to try and do um, and ConocoPhillips sponsoring Toro's Math Drills uh, is one of those things. It's a gift. Use it. HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills. Go find them. Use them. I'm telling you, if you want to get kids to learn math in your classroom, relate to them. And one of the ways you can relate to them is use sports. And in particular, because we're in football season, use football. Welcome back to this Texans All Access edition on a Wednesday. A beautiful Wednesday, by the way. Um, got an opportunity to sit down with the GM 
of our football team, Nick Casario. We had a lot to talk about. He's from Ohio, so we talked about going back to Ohio for that game against Cleveland, some things he wants to see improved, and then started looking at the Carolina Panthers coming to town on Thursday. Joining us right now in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, great to visit with you. We know it's a short week and you have plenty to do, but let's reflect on what happened in Cleveland for a moment here. The team fought very hard, lots of adversity. Right there in the fourth quarter, you came up short. What were your thoughts? Yeah, had our chances, missed some opportunities uh, against good teams. You can't afford to let opportunities sort of slip through the, cra- the, the cracks. So could have played a little bit of a cleaner game. Uh, there's some things that we did that were pretty good, some other things that we need to improve, um, and that's the way it goes each week. So, you know, the, the big thing is just kind of learn from our mistakes, try to turn the page and get ready to go. What we're going to see this week from Carolina will be a little bit different than what we saw uh, from Cleveland the other day. Uh, but that's the NFL. So um, had our chances, you know, l- let one slip through the cracks there, but kept to keep moving forward. Nick, you and Davis Mills will be linked because that was your first ever draft pick. What would you think of the way that he played when he had to come into the game in the second half? Yeah, any player that's at the game has to be prepared to play, and you really never know when that opportunity is going to come. So when we uh, made the determination at halftime that he was at to go in and play, I mean, he went in there, tried to run the offense. There were some plays that I think all of us, you know, the whole team would like to have had back, um, Davis included. So, again, it's not specific about one particular player, one particular position. But there were some good things. There were some things that we certainly can do better. Um, but, you know, all things considered, you know, he went in and did a decent job. How about the way you organize things at receiver with losing Amendola and Nico during the course of action? Yeah, you never really anticipate m- 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 losing two players during yeah. the course of a game. So the players did a good job. RP and the offensive staff, Timmy, they did a good job of just sort of reallocate, reallocating the resources and putting, you know, playing the game and finishing the game however we needed to see fit. So Andre was able to step in there. Uh, took some reps for us offensively, uh, and then you know the tight between the tight ends and some of the other positions. So just you have so many players that you can bring to the game in each side of the ball, and they all have to be prepared to play. You never know how big or small it's going to be based on the result of the game. Did you learn anything different about your team yesterday? The way that it fought in an environment that was pretty loud and raucous. You got a rookie quarterback in the second half, and yet that thing's 24-21 on into the fourth quarter. Did you learn anything different about your team yesterday that maybe you didn't already know? Yeah, I think that the team has been pretty consistent from the the time they've walked in the building to where we are now. Um, a lot of respect and appreciation for the players on this team and the way they approach their business. So they've handled everything. They really haven't had allowed many things to bother them. They focused on just being good pros and doing their job to the best of their ability. So have a lot of players that have a lot of experience that have been in a lot of football games. So the big thing is I think for, for all of us, the whole team, we fought and we battled and we kept moving forward and just it's one play, it's on to the next play. And I think that mentality and mindset permeated the entire team. Came up short in the end, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Thursday night games are such a stress test for both teams. So how do you handle this? Lots of injury issues to deal with and just preparation on a short week. You take the information. Let's we'll see where we are this afternoon relative to who's going to be available. But it's Monday, but thir- it's Thursday, so right. it's like a normal Thursday. See, we always so, don't do this. Don't. You, I got him doing this to me. Now you're doing this to me. Thursday, Sunday. But that's the reality. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, but again, you just have to make sure we have a good plan in place. The coach will spend some time putting together a game plan. Really focus on things that we do well. There's probably not going to be a lot of new things that go into it. There may be some things that have some carryover in terms of the opponent that we're playing. So, really, it's about going out there. It's about executing, and it's about having good fundamentals and just trying to play good football, not necessarily about coming up with a bunch of new plays or new schemes. Nick, Carolina, you mentioned them earlier. Matt Rule, second year, now entrenched in there. Phil Snow, defense coordinator, Joe Brady, doing a nice job in the offense. 
What if I know you probably haven't gotten too far into looking at Carolina just yet, but from a thirty thousand foot view, what have you seen from the Panthers? No, I'm knee deep in Carolina. So uh, <laughs> good team. Uh, they're the second year of Matt's program. Matt's been successful wherever he's been. Uh, really good on defense. Fast, explosive. A lot of good young players. Chin, who's kind of been a safety linebacker hybrid. Two good edge players. Good defensive tackle. Derek Brown, eighth pick or whatever he was last yeah. year. Uh, Shaq Thompson has been kind of a mainstay down there. So, and they drafted Horn in the first round. So, young and fast on defense and offensively traded for Sam. Sam's played well. We've played against Sam. I've played against Sam for a number of years. Sam's always been a good player. Three good skill receiver, three receivers that they put on the field. Arnold, the tight end they signed in free agency, yeah. who's he's been a nice addition for them. And Christian's one of the better players and the better backs in the league. So, again, it's, it's going to be a big challenge for us. They're a good football team, and they've started well. Nick, when you face a guy like Sam that you have experience in the past, you faced him you know, twice a year when you were with the Patriots, he was with the Jets. Now he's coming to a different situation with a different uh, coordinator, running things different than the way they were doing it with the Jets. How much do you rely on the information you kind of gathered playing him those years he was with the Jets versus what he's doing now? Is that the past relevant in some way, shape, or form to the present? To some small degree, but the reality is you're going off of what the system that they're playing in currently and right. how he's assimilated to Joe's offense and what Matt wants them to do. In terms of the actual physical attributes and skills, you can go back and see if there's any improvement sure. or some of the things that have carried over are consistent. So that's a separate team or different scheme. They maybe asked the quarterback to do different things, so really you have to look at it in the present and see – you know, what they're doing relative to the team that they're on now. Well, Darnold's a pretty good story through the first two weeks of the season, Nick. And when you have a quarterback, any position player, really, there's such a sprint to get good fast in this league. But sometimes it takes a while maybe to develop. Maybe it's a personnel thing or a coaching thing. What about that part of it? Players developing, they can get better over time if given the opportunity. Sure. Every year is different. And you to your question earlier, John, about looking about th what has happened in the past, there's right. some relevance, but sure. you want to see where they are moving forward. So each player has a certain level of improvement that takes place, some a little bit quicker than others, Mark, like you said. Some takes a little bit longer. So really you're just kind of focus on what you see, how they're playing currently, and you can't chase a bunch of ghosts. So that's what we really have to evaluate, and that's what we have to prepare to see you know, when we're on the field on Thursday night in this case. Nick, when you have injuries like you do yesterday, obviously today is a big day, trying to figure out, especially with the game on Thursday, trying to figure out, okay, is this guy going to be available? Do you have to make transactions? How difficult does that make it, the fact that you've got this truncated you know, time frame that, hey, if we need to get somebody, i got to go get somebody right ex right now to go do that. How tough does that make it for you to go make a transaction as such, getting ready for Thursday? It's a good question. You probably have to just rely on the people that you have in their building unless there's some extenuating circumstances that forces you to go externally or yeah. outside of the building. So we're Monday to travel to get the player here Tuesday to play in a game on Thursday. How much sense does that make? So I'd say it's not uh, unlikely, yeah. but it's probably more likely that we'll choose from the pool of players that we already have in our building in some capacity. Well, how does the ability you have to bring them up from the practice squad, how does that work in a short week situation? Very similar, Mark. You essentially have up until game time, so you can go all the way up until 3 o'clock on Thursday. So as opposed to having to do Saturday the day before the game, you can actually do it up until the game. So we'll see where we are today on Monday, take the information, and then look at for, for Tuesday and should have an idea of who's actually going to be available. Then based on the availability of the game, then we can figure out if there's any players that we need to bring up from the practice squad or release a player off the roster and sign a player to the roster. So however that goes, it should 
so, um, we should get some resolution over the next two to three days. Nick, yesterday, Chubb and Hunt, seeing those two guys, you see it in a different form. You mentioned Christian, Christian McCaffrey, a little different than those two guys. I know you can't draw too many parallels to them other than you better tackle all three of them. But what did those two guys and what were the challenges they presented to you yesterday? It's a great question, and to a certain extent, Christian will pose some of the same problems. I think they had, as a team, 156, 160 yeah. yards after contact, and we missed a number of tackles. So hard to tackle, good body balance, good playing strength, whether it's in line or in space. So that was one just getting the runner on the ground that was a little bit of an issue for us yesterday. And, and Christian, and I would say even Roy, uh, Freeman, to a certain extent, will pose some of the same sort of challenges. I know he hasn't played a lot. And then Chuba, I would say, brings a little bit of element of speed to the uh, to the Carolina backfield. So tackling getting a runner on the ground is going to be important, especially this week with Christian. How will you, as an organization, spend the weekend? Is it kind of like a mini-buy, or how do you handle that? You might have a little bit of extra time. It's probably going to be more for the players more than anybody else. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the entire organization, the staff, has been going pretty hard here. We're going to go pretty hard here this week. So you might have a chance to just catch your breath for an extra day or so, but then we're going to have to turn the page and start on, on Buffalo the following week. So... Um, you know, the focus is on, on Thursday night, and then once mm -hmm. we come in on Friday, we'll sort of, you know, do an evaluation of the game, probably catch up on anything that we may have missed on Cleveland, and then start to prepare for, for the next game, which will be Buffalo. How was John Carroll this weekend? They get a win? <laughs> They're probably going to be mad at me. I haven't checked. I have no <laughs> idea. I'm back in my hometown. don't even know what's going on well, with John well, Carroll. Is it, so. is it – it's got to be unique to be there, to be in that environment, to be in that city right by the lake, and you're so familiar with the surroundings. You're really caught up in the actual game. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of time spent outside of the hotel. <laughs> an opportunity to have a little bit of coffee with my brother Sunday morning mm -hmm. before the game, which was nice to be able to do. But you're so focused on the game and the actual task at hand. Yeah. There'll be some time once the season's over to spend some time with family. And go, and go back to Cleveland and, and spend some time there. So did you grow up a Browns fan, or were you Bengals, or were you some <laughs> no, other? I was a Browns fan. Is my everybody Browns fans? Uh, fair. My dad sat in the uh, end zone for the Red Right '88 game. Oh, so that man. was his memory and experience. Well, the reason I brought John Carroll is I saw somebody on the sideline that had a JCU shirt, and so I thought they were connected. To you and I was like, wait a second, they might be connected to Frank. I was like, wait, who who might they be connected to? But then it got me thinking about, wait a second, you grew up a Browns fan. How weird is that to like step in that building and I, I know it's a game. I know you're doing your job, but how how interesting does that make it for you? Hey, that's a team I grew up loving and now I gotta try and beat those guys. We've played there previously when I was with New England, so we had yeah. multiple trips to the stadium. So to your point, you really can't get too caught up in the actual nostalgia and the yeah. atmosphere. So there's a little bit of that, but really the focus is on the team and on the game and on the players, and that's the most important thing. I know he's way before your time, but is Otto Graham the most underappreciated quarterback <laughs> in the history of this league, maybe? For what he can do, the multitude of skills that he possessed and what he was asked to do, the the best source on this is probably Bill. Bill's the biggest historian mm -hmm. in football, so yeah. we learned a lot about Otto Graham. There's a lot of discussion <laughs> between Otto Graham and Jim Brown anytime we play the uh, anytime we play the Browns. Do you get a chance to step away a little bit and watch any college football over the weekend at all? Or do any any kind of look at what's going on? I mean, even from a cursory cursory glance, intermittently. Uh, actually was able to catch up on some uh, some of the college games from the first two weekends. Yeah. That's part of my routine, I would yeah. say, over the weekend. And when there's a little bit of pocket of time, go back and start to look at some of the information that, that our scouts have sent in and maybe watch some, some of the college football. So it looks like there's some good teams with some good players. And each week it's a little bit like the NFL. You have to be prepared. Anybody at any given point can be beaten if you don't, if you don't play well and do the right things. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck against the Panthers. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 
There he is, the man Nick Casario. I'll have a chance to catch up with him, get some final tidbits and nuggets from him from down on the field about a half hour before the game. So definitely want to be tuned in to our broadcast. Sean and Seth will have the pregame. I think it's starting at 4. Well, don't quote me on that, but I think it's in and around that time frame. And then you'll hear Nick and I about 6.30, and then Andre, Mark, and myself will take over the rest of the pregame, lead you up to kickoff, and then it's time to take on the Panthers, the number one defense in this league. Yes, it's two games. I get it. It was the Jets and the Saints. Understandable. However, this group is fast on D, explosive on offense, and going to be a tough, tough task. However, you got to play the team that's in front of you. And I am going to come up with the keys to the game. We'll have those for you next right here on Texans All Access. All Access. All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, and glad to be with you, of course. And it's time for this week's Stats Challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. I'm going to give you this stat right here. This pretty much tells me everything that you need to know. Actually, three of them. 46.5. 143.5, 190. Those three numbers are the rushing yards allowed per game by the Panthers, 46.5. 46.5. Passing yards allowed. You know, hey, you slow them down with the run, but then, you know, they get them with the pass. Passing yards allowed per game, 143.5. That's an amazing number. Total offense, 190. First in the NFL, first in the NFL, first in the NFL. A stats challenge is a little bit depressing when you start thinking about what the Panthers are bringing to NRG Stadium on Thursday night, facing a rookie this year. And this is something to keep in mind. First week, Zach Wilson, first NFL start. Second week, Jameis Winston did not start a game in 2020. This is the third week in a row that Panthers defense is going to face a quarterback who did not start in the NFL in 2020. So take all of it with a grain of salt, and hopefully our rookie does a whole lot better than the two guys that came before him, Zach Wilson and Jameis Winston. And speaking of the Panthers, it's time for me, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, to get into our keys to a victory over the Carolina Panthers. And we are going to start with the Panthers' offense, the Texans' defense. You look at this group now. It's not first in the NFL. 100 yards per game on the ground, 21st in the NFL. Passing yards, hey, 282 yards per game. Sam Darnold doing a pretty nice job in ninth in the league. Total offense at 382. They're at 14th. I think the Texans are 15th. Right around the same total offense per game. They've lost two turnovers in two games. And I'm going to get to one of those turnovers, and it's one of the keys against the Panthers' offense. Quarterback is Sam Darnold. He came over from the Jets in a trade. I would say the stars in this team are pretty much everywhere else outside. Christian McCaffrey running back, we all know. Robbie Anderson is essentially a poor man's Will Fuller. DJ Moore is a complete 
receiver and a speedster. Terrace Marshall is a rookie from LSU who's outstanding. But keep an eye on Dan Arnold, the tight end, number 85. He does some great things in this offense. The offensive line, I don't know if that offensive line, I don't say it scares me, but they do so much. And that's one of the things that does worry me when facing this Carolina offense. It's not, to me, a great offensive line. This is not the Cleveland Browns offensive line. But it's unique in that they'll do so much. They'll trap. They'll run gap plays. They'll run blast plays. Uh, They'll have split zone blocking and run counter. I mean, they're doing all kinds of different things on this offense. So let's get into it. What are the keys to winning against this Panthers offense? I'll start with number one. The biggest small man on the field. And that's Christian McCaffrey. Now, it says in the program he's 5'10", 200 pounds. Now, if you know anybody 5'10", 200 pounds, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's put, you know, that person's put together pretty well. First of all, I don't think he's 200 pounds. I think he's, he's under 195. Uh, and he's 5'10". He might be a little, a little bit smaller than that, under 5'10". Point being, when you see him in the huddle, he is dwarfed by everybody else. Yet, yet, there is nothing on a football field that that guy does is small. Last time we faced him in 2019, he had 37 touches, 27 rush attempts, 10 receptions. He totaled 179 yards. He had a rushing touchdown. He had that great catch for a first down on their sideline. He drives that offense. Yes, Anderson, Moore, Terrace Marshall, they're all great. Sam Donald stepped in, done some good things. It's Christian McCaffrey is the engine. He drives it. And he runs with as much authority as the two guys they saw last week in Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. So if you're going to throw a shoulder into him, you're going to get embarrassed like you were last week. You threw a shoulder into Demetri Felton, and he spun out of it and went for a touchdown. You tried to not wrap up Chubb and Hunt, and look, I know it's more difficult than it, than it, than it, it's more difficult to do than to say, but you're paying a lot of money to go into this game and tackle this guy. You have to, or it's going to be, uh, yikes. It's going to be tough. Now, let's get to number two. And this kind of goes back to my thought on the offensive line. I don't think this offensive line is great. I think it's good. I don't think it's great. But what helps make this offense great are the different things that they do in the run game. They do a number of different things. And a great example of that was McCaffrey's touchdown that made it 26, 23. No, it made 23-7. The blocking action was split zone blocking. So it was zone one way. The tight end comes across the formation, splits the zone. But the backfield action was of a counter. Sam Darnold opened one way, turned, and handed the ball to Christian McCaffrey, who took a couple of counter steps and then went back the other way. So to the front, it looks like split zone. But if you're looking at the back, you're reading counter. And so now you're like, whoa. So... They're doing a lot of different things in the run game, and that can be very problematic. So whatever your keys are, you got to be locked in. Your eye discipline has got to be on point, especially for these linebackers. Number three, you give it, they'll take it. The one thing I really like about this Carolina offense is they'll you give them five, they'll take five. You give them 50, they'll take 50. They are going to take what it is you give them. They're not one of those that, you know, well, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put a stake in the ground and we're gonna we're gonna do this because this is what we are. No, they're so diverse that they're just gonna take what they want when you give it to them. You give them seven, they'll take it. You give them ten, they'll take it. You play off, they'll throw short, and then they'll you know make you tackle them. 
Uh, you put nickel on the field, they'll run. Whatever you give to them, they'll take it. So if you play nickel, maybe there's some run blitzes that you have off of that because they're going to run it on you. Maybe you play off. Maybe you jump those short routes with different disguises. So you give it, they're going to take it. But if you show them some disguises, maybe you can get one. Maybe you can't. We'll see. Number four, moving on out and up and through. One of the things about Sam Darnold is he's not quite a dual threat, but he moves extremely well that he becomes one out of the pocket. They aren't going to design run plays for Darnold. But Darnold can get up through the pocket, in and out, and be a problem. We faced him in 2018 with the Jets. That's what he did to us. He got a dropped. The rush came, he found an escape lane, he took off, and he's very athletic out of the pocket. So they've done a really nice job of that. But also, they'll take him and they move him. They run boots. They have rollouts. They have different things that they do to get him on the move. So with all these other things to consider, sort of like the Browns, Baker Mayfield was the one that had a rushing touchdown. Why? Because the pass rush discipline didn't stick. Guys got out of their pass rush lanes. Guys got upfield, and Baker made an example of them. Sam Darnold can, can do the same exact thing, and that's a problem. And number five, number five is called hit on 19. Now, if you ever played blackjack, first of all, you know if you got 19, you don't hit. But you definitely don't hit if you're looking at a dealer four, five, or six. Three, four, five, six. You, you definitely don't hit then, and then probably two also. But every now and again... You do it, or somebody does it, and it's inexcusable. It hurts everybody at the table. And maybe you didn't mean to do it, but it just happens. It's just kind of your gambling nature. Well, that's kind of Darnold. Once a game, once a game, he's going to have that moment. Against the Saints, he had that moment. It's 17-0, and they're just drilling the Saints. And a couple of guys are bringing Sam to the ground, and he tries to throw it. The ball slips out of his hand. Saints recover, and it's the only touchdown they got on the day. When that one happens... You got to take full advantage. If he gives you seven points doing something like that, make him pay. You can't miss out on any opportunities because he's going to hit on 19 and hurt that team. That's just his gambling nature. Make them pay. All right, let's flip it over to, oh boy, the number one unit in the league. 46 and a half yards per game on the ground, 143.5 through the air, 190 total. They picked up three interceptions. They have as good a pass rush as you're going to find. The linebackers absolutely can fly, and the secondary might be the fastest secondary in the league. Now, what do you got to do to beat them? What are the keys? Well, number one, speed kills. Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick are maybe the fastest duo pass rushers in the league. Now, they're not exceptionally big. It would be nice to be able to run the ball right at them. Reddick, in the last 17 games has 15 and a half sacks, including 10 and a half in his last six games. Burns, he is a house of fire. He has got so many different moves, and yet he can just win with speed. So the Texans, to slow them down, I think the one thing you got to be able to do is run right at them. Make them pay. Number two, Shaq in the house. I talked about the linebackers being able to run. Shaq Thompson is number seven. It's the number he wore in college. There was some thought when he came out of college. Was he safety? Is a linebacker? What is it? Well, he is the perfect linebacker now because in this defense very rarely does somebody get a hat on number seven and then he just runs to the ball and he makes people pay reminds me of Eric Kendricks from the Vikings but he's probably a little more physical it is imperative that this front get to Shaq 
Somebody's got to get a hat on number seven. Somebody has to. Number three, I just called it eight ball. Wearing number eight for the Panthers is J.C. Horn. He was the number eight pick in the draft. That's where he wear, why he wears number eight. He's a rookie. Now, the Texans have got their own cornerback issues. The Panthers, well, I don't want to say he's an issue because he's a really good football player, but he's a rookie. And the blitz scheme and the pass rush have really helped out both he and Dante Jackson on the other side. But my guess is teams, including the Texans, look at it and think, do we want to attack Jackson or do we want to attack the rookie who's playing in just his third game in the NFL? That's a decision that Tim Kelly and this offensive staff are going to have to make. And my guess is they'll challenge the rookie and see what he's got. But they got to have time to be able to throw it. And the way the Panthers do things up front makes that very problematic. I can't stress that enough. And that leads me to number four. Where is 21? Now, my all-time, one of my all-time favorite players was a guy by the name of Sean Taylor. He played safety with the Redskins. My guess is that if Sean Taylor, RIP to the late great, came back in another player's body and played that way, he would come back in the form of number 21, Jeremy Chin. If a defensive coordinator had Sean Taylor now, he'd be using Sean Taylor the same way Jeremy Chin is used. He lines up on the line of scrimmage, mugging in the A-gap, showing like he's going to blitz. He drops back as a free safety. He plays the star sometimes. Sometimes he plays an outside linebacker, depending on whether it's base nickel or dime. 21 lines up all over the place. And the Texans, A, have got to find him. And the B, they've got to account for him. And one of the more difficult things that Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator for the Panthers, does is line Chin and Shaq Thompson up in the A-gaps. And then depending on what the blocking scheme is or what the defensive call is, one of them's blitzing, both are blitzing. Both are showing and then dropping. I mean, they do different things. And Chin is a key piece in all of that. He's all over the field. You got to find him because he, as crazy as it sounds, can wreck the game. Reddick and Burns up front. But Jeremy Chin can be a massive, massive problem as well. The last key, and this kind of bridges it all together. Last key, comfortability. The one thing that you'd like to see from Davis Mills is to find some level of comfort. The Panthers are not that defense that's going to make you feel comfortable. But if you can protect him early and get him to a point where, yeah, I feel good back here. I'm okay. They're going to send some stuff, but I'm getting to my reads. I know where I'm going with the football. I know what I'm seeing. I'm not getting a ton of unscouted looks. I feel okay back here. Then, okay, I think it'll be all right. And that's got to be the goal. Get Davis comfortable by any means necessary. Make sure everybody's picked up and he got a chance. All right, we get back. Mick Mixon will sit down with Mark Vandermeer. Our men behind the mics next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. We've got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, football analyst and sideline reporter John Harris. So glad to be with you tonight. And I love kicking off the second hour of the show with our men behind the mics. This is my idea probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago. I said to Mark, you know what would be really fun? I love it when you talk to the play-by-play men from the other side. It's a great segment. I want to do it. And he said, all right, let's do it. Each and every week, 
He dials it up, texts the uh, opposing play-by-play voice and says, hey, would you like to do a segment talking about your team? And those men, for the most part, are like, heck yeah, let's do it. And this week, it's Mick Mixon. Now, when I moved to North Carolina in 2001, Mick was working on the University of North Carolina broadcast. He shortly thereafter moved over to the Carolina Panthers broadcast. He's been doing play-by-play for a while. He will retire at the end of the 2021 season. Moving on, and I'm telling you, he is salt of the earth. So we got one final opportunity to chat with Mick Mixon. So here's Mark and Mick, our men behind the mics. Let's go. Joining us right now, Texans Radio, Mick Mixon, the voice of the Carolina Panthers. Mick, well, welcome to the program. We really appreciate having you on. So tell me, it's your last year. So this is the tour, if you will. What's it like for you so far just in the booth? <laughs> well, I appreciate your uh, I appreciate your question, Mark. Thank you. Everybody's been so nice. I, I'm just humbled by people's outreach and what some folks have said. Um, whether they're sincere about it or not, or whether they mean it. I mean, we could debate that, but it's just been amazing. I'm a lot older than you. I'll be 63 in about a week or 10 days. And I'm just, I'm so looking forward to retirement, but I'm also extremely fired up about this last season and just going to try to soak up every memory, extract every bit of joy. And you and I are members of an amazing fraternity of people. And you're one of my favorite guys. I, I like listening to you to your calls and uh, and it's an honor to talk to you prior to the Texans Panthers game well the honor is mine Mick and I really appreciate that and I'm really not that much younger but we won't get into that right now okay 39.9 that's what I'm turning next month so I'll stick with that that's my story well you're a young 39.9 even so that's that's awesome <laughs> all right well tell me Mick uh the Panthers they couldn't be doing better for you right now 2-0 start and what is your level of uh, surprise or just what's your general reaction to the kind of football they've been playing so far in the young season? I felt like Matt Rule ever since he got here. I mean, just uh, even in a COVID year last year, Mark, getting a chance to to vibe into this amazing ball of energy and this just this kinetic, uh, cohesively kind of team building coach. I mean, a natural born teacher. And it's, but it's not artificial. I mean, I think he, he just, he just loves it. He's eaten up with it. And immediately he got this, I hate the word culture because everybody uses it, but he got players wanting to do well for him, for him and with him. And more importantly, for and with one another. So I, I, I had this feeling after two months, he's not going to be denied. David Tepper's not going to be denied. Matt Rule's not going to be denied. They're going to win. It's just a matter – the only question now is a matter of when. Carolina may be a, a draft or two away yet from being that team that can be in the conversation to bring absolute victory to the Carolinas, but but then again, maybe not. I mean, this defense is so young and so – they're just playing with a, a zeal that's contagious. I mean, Mark, I don't know how you are, but I'm being the age I am, I see very little these days on an athletic field that moves me, that provokes – an emotional reaction in me. But when I've watched this Panther defense play through two games, it's made me want to grab a set of shoulder pads and a helmet and try to get a piece of it because it looks like a lot of fun. Well, you mentioned Rule and you mentioned the defense. What about Phil Snow? Because it's not like he's a spring chicken here. He's been around the block, and it looks like he's adding a lot of different elements from places he's been, and it's effective right now. 
the key to it has been that the Panthers, and you're right, Phil Snow is a, a fantastic coach. Matt Rule has described Phil Snow as the best football coach that he, Matt Rule, knows. Wow. The two have a long history. Phil Snow, though, the, the Panthers are getting home with four or fewer. In the Jets game, the Panthers had six sacks, and five of those came with four or fewer pass rushers. So, as mm. you know, and as David Culley, I'm sure, has counseled Texans fans, if you can if you can pr- get pressure with four, now you got options. Now you can double a key receiver. Now you can do some disguising. Then you can mix in some exotics to keep a quarterback off balance. Yeah, I think it's a, a great point you mentioned. I mean, they got a lot of pressure in these first couple of games. Let's just flip it here to the Saints because they had that dominating victory over the Packers. And I know it's early in the season, so you have these wild swings. But what do you think of them? Because you're in the division, you hosted them, and the Panthers just completely took it to them. What's going on with that franchise? Then we'll get back to the Carolina side of things. Yeah, the, the Sean Payton is just irritating. I mean, and I say that in the most respectful way possible. you got to compete against that. They make offensive football look so easy, and you got to see that twice a year in the NFC South. I mean, it is a pure T handful in this world. But I don't think they were the same Saints team that beat the Packers. They, they, that Packer game came with a cost. They had eight defensive players that missed practice time. They had seven coaches with COVID. They've been displaced by a hurricane. Now, even though Sean Payton is the best maybe currently coaching at bridging negatives to positives, they just weren't quite the same team. The Panthers were lucky. Now, Carolina played well. I mean, the Panthers still had to play well, still had to execute, and the game could have gone either way. But I don't think the Saints had quite all the weapons, uh, all the armature in, in their their in their quiver that they, they will have when these two teams meet again in early January. Haven't heard the word quiver in a while in a sports broadcast. I love it. Mick Mixon, voice of the Panthers, joining us. All right, so tell me about McCaffrey because he was so good here a couple of years ago. What kind of Christian McCaffrey are we getting coming off the injury? Good question. Uh, I think he's. I think he'll. He'll. He should be a pretty good uh, imitation of his true natural self. McCaffrey is that. He's kind of what everybody's looking for. He's that any era football player. And they can all tote it. I mean, they can all run at this level. But the thing about McCaffrey is he's great in blitz pickup. He's great in pass pro. He's great without the ball. He's a deadly poison receiver. Just, I mean, pit viper dangerous on these check downs, the the check release stuff, the flare passes, the swing passes and screens. McCaffrey's um, he's the way he he understands the geometry of defensive football. He understands the angles of pursuit and he's able to split defenders like no one else I've ever seen play. Mick Mixon, voice of the Panthers, joining us on Texans radio. Mick, we talk about some of the big names of the Panthers and the coach and McCaffrey and Darnold and everybody like that. But tell me something about one aspect of the team, a player or a certain facet that's not getting mentioned enough outside of the market, in your opinion. What do you got? Wow, that's a good call. Let me think. I mean, I, you've set me up to say something positive, so I don't want to say anything negative, but we, we got special teams issues here. Mm-hmm. If I could hand the phone to Matt Rule, Mark, he'd tell you the same thing. He, uh, the Panthers had a field goal blocked and returned 20 or 30 yards in the Saints game. Gave up pressure right up the middle. 
The Panthers have a kicker, Zane Gonzalez, who was not able to put the ball into the end zone on kickoffs. Therefore, we got this whirling dervish, this F5 funnel cloud of Deion, Deontay Harris coming out of the end zone at 1,000 miles an hour, and tackling him was problematic. And Gonzalez missed an extra point. So, so kicking it and covering it remains an issue and so that's one thing that's getting talked about. And and then the, I don't know, I guess maybe, uh, let me just throw in Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold's the 85 tight end. We hadn't had a tight end like Dan Arnold since Greg Olson. So I think Texan fans would do well to kind of keep an eye on how Joe Brady, our Opie Taylor wonderkind offensive coordinator, mixes in the tight ends as weapons, particularly Dan Arnold in the passing game against this Texans defense. I noticed that Sam Darnold, the completion percentage is, what, nine points higher than last year, yards per game almost 100 or somewhere around there. I mean, he's really doing well through two games of this season. Is it Joe Brady? Is it change of scenery? What is it in your opinion, Mick? I think that he's benefited most notably by not being on the New York Jets football team anymore. <laughs> that that's I think that's the – that's how the skies have cleared. That's how angels have started to sing and birds are chirping and flowers are blooming and the sun is out in Sam Darnold's world because he's got a career reset button, which very few get. Number two, he's with an offensive coordinator that understands him and is more interested in not, okay, Sam, here's the offense, you run it, but what, Sam, what do you like? What, what are your favorites? Place. What did you call this at Southern Cal? What did what are you used to? What can we do to help you? The receiving room's got juice with Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, uh, Brandon Zilstra, and 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 others, and Terrace Marshall, the rookie. And then the O line. The O line's not great, Mark here, but it's better. It was better week two than it was week one. So I think Sam Darnold. I think he's just been able to release his breaks and get back in touch with the reasons that he's good at football. All right, the rest of the division, obviously you have Tampa Bay to deal with and you have the Atlanta Falcons. How do you think you fit into the mix in the NFC South? Uh, the greatly detested Atlanta Falcons, our, our rival. Well, I think if this were a stock, if, if all four teams in the NFC South were a stock, the Panthers would be that Bitcoin, that sexy IPO that you'd want to you'd take a flyer on. I think moving forward, all credit to Tampa Bay and what they did last year. But I think that moving forward, you would rather be the Carolina Panthers than you would be. Now, I won't be in the booth to call it, but that's that's neither here nor there. There's going to be championship football coming here very soon. So I think you'd rather be the Panthers than you would be the Falcons, the Saints, and the Bucks. This year, you'd have to say the Bucks are the bully on the block with you could probably just throw a, a bed sheet around the other three teams and let let us all fight it out. All right, Mick, one more for you. The sports scene, and I can't generalize and just put North Carolina, the state, in one bucket here, but the Charlotte sports scene. You have the Hornets. College basketball still huge, of course, with the attention to the Research Triangle, Tobacco Road, and all of that. But what is it like? Where the power rankings stand in local sports teams and entities in the Charlotte market these days? It's changed in the last quarter century a tremendous amount. It used to be Charlotte as a sports town was kind of a, a uh, the two the two phrases 
didn't they were like magnets that went were turned opposite what Charlotte, a sports town. Charlotte had double A baseball in the in the Orioles organization. Charlotte had racing and Charlotte had professional wrestling. Then George Shin bought, brought the Hornets here. They had a brief run, became the Bobcats, et cetera. But it was really when the Carolina Panthers, when Jerry Richardson got the Carolina Panthers to Charlotte, Charlotte became that King Kong climbing up onto the skyscraper and batting away these little buzzing little Cessna F-150s that flew at its head like ACC football and ACC basketball and some of these other and hockey and all that. I mean, the NFL here is big daddy. Yep. Well, it seems to be in every market it's in, and that's a great thing for us. Mick, thanks so much for the visit. We appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you at the game. Always a pleasure, Mark. Thank you, man. And uh, come find me in the visiting radio booth. You know I will. I got to say, that is one of the cool things about being in this radio fraternity, if you will, Every so often, and mine will be next Sunday, not this coming Sunday, the following Sunday. My good friend Sal Capaccio is a sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills. And going back to his, going back to his crib, uh, which is a place I really, really like. And you just have this opportunity to meet guys along the way. You meet them at the combine. You meet them when you go travel. Uh, and it's always cool to kind of just go in and say hi, wish them luck, and uh, just have this little, little fraternity of radio broadcasters throughout the league. So definitely kind of cool. Also kind of cool is Kristen Balboni. If you don't know her, she, which I wouldn't expect you to because she covers the Panthers for Panthers.com. But D.P. Sidhu, who you know, sat down and chatted about this game with her. We'll have enemy sidelines next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. You'll hear in a little while, Drew and I did our In the Lab. And one of the things that Drew asked me, he said, look, after a night game, what do you what do you do? What is what is your is your ritual? Because I don't want to give it away, but he has kind of a ritual after a night game, especially at home. Now on the road, it's a whole different story. Yeah, you just you know you eat on the plane, you try to sleep on the plane, you get back at like dark thirty. But home games, you, know, you always have kind of a little little ritual. Well, the way that I go home, I always see the lights at a Freddy's. And Freddy's Frozen Custard Steak Burgers is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more car picnics and desserts, more even more second desserts, more being together as much as we can. With 17 area locations in the Houston area, Freddy's keep the good going with the taste that brings you back. And I will tell you, even though I shouldn't, I want so badly, and I have a few times gone through there and got the double steak burger with cheese, and I've gotten some cheese curds, and if I'm feeling really sassy, I end up getting the uh, turtle concrete, the mini. Not the big one, the mini. So, yeah, I'll, I've Freddy's has been my pick du jour after games on occasion. That's not Drew's thing. You'll hear that a little bit later, uh, but it is my thing, especially because I passed that beautiful Freddy's on the way home. Now, it's time to go behind enemy sidelines. DP Sidhu, each and every week, has a chance to chat with an analyst, a writer, a media personality from the other side. And this being the Carolina Panthers, she has a good friend over there, and her name is Kristen Balboni. She's been covering the Panthers for a little bit. She knows this team inside and out. So let's go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu and the Panthers, Kristen Balboni. 
It's Enemy Sidelines presented by Microsoft. My guest this week, Kristen Balboni. She's the team reporter for the Carolina Panthers. It's a short week. It's a Thursday night game. Lots to be excited about. And I'm sure the Panthers are as well with a 2-0 start headed into week three. How has this season gone for y'all so far? What is the mood like around the building? DB, as you can imagine, uh, starting off 2-0 is, uh, is pretty good for morale around here. You know, I think everyone, if you talk to the players and the coaches, I was just downstairs talking to, to Derek Brown, one of our starting D linemen, and they will tell you it's, you know, it's a, it's another week. We put it in the past. It's, it's not two and oh, it's one and oh, uh, each week we are focused on the Texans, but there's no denying that this team is very excited to have started off two and oh, cause it really feels like the things that, uh, coach rule and this coaching staff, which started last year, um, is it's paid off, right? Like the way that they are teaching, the way they are coaching, the way these players are playing, it's all coming together, which was not the case last year. Um, we saw it a little bit at the end of last season, people starting to get comfortable. It's a very young team. So it really feels like some validation. I think that this very young team has started off 2-0 heading into this Thursday night game. Yeah, it's the first 2-0 start for the Panthers since 2017. And they do so with Quarterback Sam Darnold, who was a big story this offseason, Panthers traded for him. It seems like mm-hmm. the change of scenery is doing him well. Last year, he had nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's cut down on the interception number. So, you know, what has he been doing well through these first two games? What's really changed for him in this offense? You know, I think it's uh, different personnel, different coaching staff. So certainly the weapons that he has available to him. Christian McCaffrey is is never going to be bad for any quarterback's game stats. There's no doubt about it. And if you look at uh, DJ Moore, you look at Robbie Anderson, and then, of course, plenty of young weapons, I can continue to go on. I think that that is the biggest thing. But then also working under offensive coordinator Joe Brady and, and Matt Rule, who is an offensive-minded guy, I think – those are big. And that's what the Panthers were banking on both this front office and this coaching staff, that, that change of scenery, that the specific plan uh, and the plans that they had for him, Sam Darnold coming in here would pay off. It, even if they didn't pay off for the jets, that this coaching staff could get him where they wanted him to be, could utilize his talents. And I've heard um, our offensive coordinator, Joe Brady say, you know, we don't need him to be we don't need him to do everything. We don't need him to be Superman. We don't need him to be what the Jets needed him to be. We just need him to play well, to know what he's doing and, and go out there and win. And it seems like it's working. You mentioned Christian McCaffrey, who you're right. He's certainly a great addition to anyone's tool belt. He has some put up some impressive numbers as he usually does. But right now, currently leading the NFL in yards from scrimmage. He leads all running backs in catches. And for the Panthers, he's the leading rusher and he's tied as the leading receiver right now. So with that being said, is Christian McCaffrey an even bigger part of that offense? I don't even know if that's possible, but is he a bigger part of that offense? And, and if so, how much of a concern is his durability? I think he is as big as, as anyone wants to make him. He is that important to this team. I don't think we can overstate it enough, even though, as you said, it's odd to say like, oh yeah, he's even more important than he's been in years past. When you look at his usage rates in years past, they're just as high. I think that um, he's a he's one of the best players in the NFL, right? And so you're going to utilize him as much as possible. And as you said, his versatility with 
receiving and being able to run the ball like nobody else. It's just, why would you not just hand it off to him every single time, which I think is what Sam Darnold has done a little bit. And also, you know, as a, as a check down option, it's very comfortable for Sam Darnold. So I think he is so huge, so important to this offense. And we saw it last year um, when he didn't play, he was only available for three, really two and a half games. And, you know, you do wonder Panthers fans do wonder what would last season have looked like if, if he was available, because you just cannot, as I said, overstate the importance of what he brings to this offense or, you know, frankly, any offense that, that he would be on. He's just that good at what he does. But of course, with that, and, and you mentioned the numbers, you also mentioned just, I mean, how many reps he's getting, of course, there's going to be durability concerns, especially considering his injury history last year. I mean, I don't think that anyone is concerned about him right now. Um, but they want to make sure that they're developing the guys behind them, whether that's Royce Freeman, who's a new addition to the Panthers, or Chuba Hubbard, a rookie that we have seen a lot of. Joe Brady has said, we want Christian to be, we want him to feel good. We want him to be available in the fourth quarter. That is when we need him. So if we need to rest him before that and bring in some of these other guys, which we've seen a little bit of, that's what we'll do. Because having him available, ready to go, feeling fresh when it matters is the ultimate plan. That's what they want. They want to make sure that, that they're protecting him. However, when you have him out on the field or when you have him available, how do you not hand the ball to him? So I, I think that's what, if you look at any of the, the past coaching staffs that he's worked with, um, everyone will say that, right? Like we want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on his touches. We want to make sure that he's not going over a certain amount, whatever that might be uh, to this offensive coordinator or the staff. But when you have him there and the game is on the line, it's a close game or whatnot, he's your best option. So I think it's also hard in practice to get away from wanting him on the field every single play. Yeah, I certainly can see that. Well, let's switch gears and talk about defense for a moment because that Carolina Panthers defense has been really impressive as well through for the first two games. I did recheck these stats. So 10 sacks through the first two games and they've allowed a league low of 46 and a half rushing yards per game on average. So less than 50 yards a game rushing, 10 sacks. They haven't allowed anyone to to score in this in the in the first half of a game this year through their first yeah. two games. So what's been the key to such a hot start for this Panthers defense because it seems like they're doing it all. They're getting pressure on the quarterback, they're stopping the run, they're getting takeaways. It's it's pretty much as complete of a defense as you could draw up, wouldn't you say? I think so. And and you know, it's funny. I am with this team. I cover them every day, but even when you see that they're at the top of the leaderboard defensively through 2 weeks, I had to even look at the stats and go, "Oh gosh, like this is how they compare to the other teams in the NFL." So you're not the only one there. Um I think they might even be a little surprised about what they've been able to do, but to me it comes down to to two things and we touched on this a little bit earlier, which is I think these young guys that they drafted and brought in last year. So last year they drafted seven defensive players. And so we're seeing those guys mature. Your, your Jeremy Chins, who's just been a, a revelation. He can do it all. He's really a Swiss army knife. Um, he was drafted in the second round last year. Derek Brown is another one. Yitor Grossmatos. These young defenders are really starting to come into their own. We saw it at the, the end of last season a little bit. But of course, there were some holes that they needed to fill. And then so then through the draft and free agency, they've been able to plug those holes. They also have Dante Jackson back, uh, one of our corners, one of our starting corners, who really missed the majority of last season with Turf Joe. So he's back. They draft his uh, his counterpart over there, J.C. Horn, who, I mean, he just looks like a he's like a full-grown man. You would not think he was a rookie just looking at him 
or a DB really, I mean, he's huge. He's a, he's a large man. So you have these new pieces. And then on the D line, which is really where everything starts, they did quite a lot of free agency. So they, they brought in Morgan Fox, Daquan Jones, Hassan Reddick is another Swiss army knife. He's contributing three of those sacks to the 10 total that you just mentioned. So it, it really feels like as I said, with the way this coaching staff wants to play, this is the, the year, or at least the start of the year, where it's all coming together, where their messages, the way they want to play, everyone doing their job, being in their gap, that's where it starts. You know, the sound fundamentals are all paying off. They have people that can execute what they want to do. And then you see these young guys really getting comfortable. And then some of the veterans they brought in, it just seems like everything is meshing well. You mentioned the young guys. Let's talk about that receiving core because it seems like they've gotten younger at receiver. They've sort of let go some of the veteran receivers and some new faces there in the receiving core. Tell me about the receivers. You mentioned DJ Moore a little while ago, what they do well and and how they've really meshed in their chemistry with Sam Darnold. Yeah, you know, I I feel like everyone is younger. It's one of the youngest teams in the NFL and and they just get younger and younger (laughs) each season. But certainly the receiver position is no exception. You know, uh, Robbie Anderson, I guess, is, is technically a little bit older than the other guys, which is funny because we talk about it when you if you ask Robbie, or, or DJ Moore, they would say Robbie is the big brother. And then DJ Moore is the middle brother. And last year it was Curtis Samuel, who was now with Washington. He was the, the little brother that kind of rounded out that trio. They're trying to bring a very, very young receiver, rookie Terrace Marshall into the family, as Robbie would say. Um, and, and Terrace Marshall is starting. So he was drafted in the second round coming out of LSU dealt with some injuries over the off season or was, was rehabbing the Panthers knew about them and were totally ready for them, but we didn't really see him until training camp. So they knew he had to get right. And he just made a big impression in training camp and in the preseason. And he's earned that, that, that starting spot. He's coming out of the slot a lot in that starting lineup. Um, And, you know, he's, I mean, he's a rookie of course. So he's one of these guys that, you know, He's got a, a lot to learn. I think Joe Brady called him clay, like where you can mold him. You know that the end product is going to be there. Joe Brady spending some time with him at LSU when he was there as well. He said, you know, the end product is going to be there, but he's still got a lot to learn. Um, and then you have, you know, just a, just a totally young receiving core in general. DJ Moore feels like a, a veteran as, as really, I guess, the number one option there. I mean, he's only been in the league really for a few years too. So it's, it's funny how relative it is. And Shai Smith, we have not seen him play, but he was drafted as well. Um, he is recovering from, from an injury and we expect him to see, you know, maybe on Thursday night, not sure. It's just interesting to see Robbie Anderson is the, is the vet at like 27, but I think they're all incredibly talented. Certainly receiver is one of the strengths of this team. And I'm excited to see what else they can do and, and watch these young guys come along. Well, we're excited for the Thursday night matchup. Kristen, what other storylines are you working on as the Panthers and Texans head into this game? You know, I, I think, and it'll certainly be the same for the Texans. I'm, I'm very interested to see how this team does on a short week. You and I were just talking about what our schedules look like on a short week, but for the Panthers, they've really got two days before heading out um, on Wednesday to travel and then playing on Thursday. And I remember this turnaround last year and and for these young guys this is a this is something that's pretty new so even if they're second year guys they've only been through it once and we were the home team last year so you've got two days to get your body right 
to recover. They'll have one practice and that's it. So, you know, they're in this routine. They found these things that work for them, but it's all going to change this week. So I I think that that's going to be really interesting. It's the first two games have been at home and they've had the benefit of the home crowd, which has been great. It's nice to have everyone back and certainly the defense can feel it, you know, when the crowd jumps in on third down. So this is going to be the first road game and it's on an extremely, extremely short week. So I'll be interested to see how this very young group of players responds with this adversity. All right, Kristen, we're looking forward to it. Can't wait for Thursday night Panthers here at the Texans, Kristen Balboni team reporter for the Carolina Panthers. Kristen, a pleasure. Can't wait to see you. Yeah, Can't wait to see you then. It's going to be great. Now heading into this segment, I mentioned that Drew Doherty has a ritual after home night games, whether it's a preseason game or regular season. This will be our right now. It'll be our only uh, primetime night game. Maybe you'll get one flex. That would be kind of nice later on. But for right now, it's our only home regular season night game on the schedule. What is it that Drew Doherty does after games when he gets home? I do something eh, not as regular as he does, but I had one moment that I remember more than any other. We'll do our In the Lab, and we'll give Drew the final word with David Johnson. That's all next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. We got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. Let's jump right in to Drew Doherty and I doing our In the Lab thing. Here we go. Johnny, great to see you, my friend, as always. And let's jump right into it. We're not really even going to talk about Cleveland. Let's talk about Davis Mills and what he's got to do against the Panthers. But let's do it how we do and winnow, winnow, winnow down even deeper and examine what really changes about the offense with Davis Mills. Because, yeah, I know they don't change much, they say, but – you're not giving him the same package to run that you gave Tyrod Taylor. And they basically said as much on Tuesday in the press conferences. So what are maybe two or three key things that the Texans can do to help make it easier on Davis Mills to put him in a more advantageous position to succeed? Because we've seen them all through the years do things like this, whether it was Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson, or whether it's Gary Kubiak and TJ Yates coaches adjust for rookies. How do they adjust for this rookie in Davis Mills who can do some things? Well, I think the, the first thing to realize, the, the difference in the, the quote-unquote packages, I don't know if there would be too much in the, you know, the, the play-action game and just a straight drop game. I think that's going to be pretty – I don't say pretty standard, but I think that's going to be um, – package, package was the wrong choice of words on my part. No, no, it's the right – On the whole, the right. like, what do they do differently, you know? Like, no, I, I no, you're absolutely right because I do think that – there are probably, you know, if you think about like, you know, going to the grocery store, you know, Tyrod's got his bag of groceries and Davis has got his bag. Now there's a lot of things that are the same, but Davis pulls out, wait, I got kumquats and Tyrod pulls out, well, I got Sour Patch Kids. So yeah, there are a couple of items that are going to be different. I think you, you definitely hit on it. I think the one thing that's going to be interesting to me is the RPO package that the Texans had with Tyrod was, I think, one of the better things that they're doing. And they would put – and they did put defenses, both the Jaguars and the Browns, in peril. Like, man, how do we handle this? What do we do? And that got him some easy throws to flip out the Farrell Brown. He got Brandy Cooks down the sideline wide open. One uh, – can't remember if that was Jags. That might have been a Jags game. But either way, 
that RPO package put defenses in conflict. So the question becomes, how does Davis do that? Well, honestly, you could run that same RPO package with Davis. Davis is not a tree sloth. He's not the slowest guy, guy on the field. Yeah, the guy can he's, a, he's athletic. He's just not Tyrod. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's a different level of, of movement skills uh, and experience. But I do think you can run some of the, the same RPO-type things, and you're going to have to do that against the Panthers. This is one of the fastest defenses in, uh, that I've seen, that I've studied. I don't know that I've seen a lot faster defenses in the league. I mean, they're number one in every single category on defense for a reason because they can all fly. And the best way or one of the best ways to attack a defense that fast, two ways. Number one, counter their aggression. So a lot of counters, you know, bootlegs, things like that. But also make them think, oh, this is option football. Who's got what? I got the quarterback. You got the guy in the flat. I got the running back. If you get them to slow down and think a little bit, that's going to help you. And so I don't want them to go totally away from that RPO package. I really don't, because I think that can help who's ever at quarterback, whether it's me or you or Tyrod or Davis. It can help whomever because it makes them stop and think. The last thing you want these guys doing is having a dead 100% read on, I know what this play is. I'm, or I don't, I'm assuming this is passed. I'm going 100 miles an hour. Because Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick are going to get in the backfield faster than any two pass rushers we've seen this year or any other year. These guys are dynamic. So that's saying something. Make sure that's saying something compared to is. what you just it saw is. in Cleveland. They well, they're different from those two guys. You know, Miles Garrett's two sixty-five, and Jadeveon Clowney's two seventy. Now he did look trimmer, but they're both about two sixty, two sixty-five. They've got a mix of power to go along with their twitch. These two guys are just flat speed guys now they've got pretty good repertoire of pass rush skills that especially burns 53 mm. but Hassan Reddick over the last 17 games has 15 and a half sacks that's wow. the most in the NFL and people don't realize that and he had a sack and a half the other day uh, against the Saints he had a sack and a half against the Jets he has three through two games burns can go one-on-one and a spin move chops you know uh, cross chops uh, swipe, rip, just rip. I mean, he's got every move in the book. So the Texans are going to have to move Davis. So I think that RPO package is nice, but they're also going to have to make sure that those two guys don't wreck the game and that they protect Davis so that he gets comfortable in the pocket. Not to the point where he's back there just bouncing like, okay, he needs eight seconds of time. No, they just got to make him feel comfortable enough that he can deliver the ball on time to his receivers. But this defensive line these linebackers, they don't make that easy because of the speed and explosiveness and twitch that they have. When the Texans play a primetime game, I, after doing all my work and stuff, come home. Uh, this one's going to be even later because you and I are shooting Texans extra points that night. Yep. But I come home after a primetime game and I make a fried egg sandwich on toast with two slices of American cheese and a little bit of Tony Shasheries and I drink a beer. What do you do after you get home from a Texans primetime game that's at home? 
I'll give you one of my favorite stories. I don't, uh, this, it obviously is not going to happen this Thursday, but it's one of my favorite moments. Christmas Eve night, 2016. That was fun. We beat the Bengals. Randy Bullock pushes the field goal to the right. It's Christmas Eve night. Mm -hmm. And I eventually got home. Clinched your, you clinched your playoff spot. Yeah. Clinched the playoff spot. And it was, I don't know. It was now that game was not at seven. I don't remember. I thought it was a little bit earlier in the day, but either way, got home pretty late, and it's Christmas night. So, of course, even though with the older kids, they're excited about Christmas, they were both asleep. And I came home, and we were kind of finishing up, you know, everything, and we finally just had a moment probably about midnight, uh, maybe later now, about 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and just sat on – I sat on the couch, and my wife started to kind of fall asleep on the couch, kind of laying one way, I was sitting the other way. And I watched the replay of the game with the fire on until we both kind of both fell asleep about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. That's one of my favorite after-game moments was that. It was just kind of – if I was quiet, yeah. um, you know, you could celebrate Christmas the next day without having to worry about what was going to happen in Tennessee the next weekend. You could just kind of have a moment to breathe and relax. Uh, and that was a good one. Most of the time when I get home – I do the same thing. It's funny because that sandwich you just described is exactly – I don't use Tony Shastri's. I use um, another guy um, that ha, that does YouTube videos called Meat, uh, Meat Church, Meat Church Barbecue. Matt, he has a he has a line of seasonings, huh. and one of them is called Holy Voodoo. I put the Holy Voodoo on that same egg sandwich that my son loves. He absolutely <laughs> loves it. So uh, it's funny you say that. So a lot of times – uh, jacks up. And so we'll have something to eat. Sometimes we order something. We just kind of sit there and, you know, maybe watch a Marvel movie or watch him, watch a show together. And, um, you know, he kind of watches it and I kind of do my notes and write some stuff up. So it's always great after a night game, especially if you come home with the W come home with the L eh, not, as nice. not as nice, not as nice. It certainly isn't as nice as David Johnson. That's for sure. That might be the nicest man we've ever met. Here he is. The final word of Drew Doherty. It's, DJ. This pregame interview is powered by Reliant, and we've got none other than David Johnson, running back for the Texans, joining us. David, good to be with you. Good to have you on. And this is a big game, a Thursday nighter. You're under the lights. How much of a challenge is it when you're an NFL player and you play a game on Sunday and you got to flip around and play three days later? Oh, it's a huge challenge. Probably one of the biggest things is how physically ready you are, trying to get all the bruises, trying to get your body as fresh as possible with, what, four days uh, mm-hmm. until the next game. And really the one of the good things is that we are home. Is, yeah. Uh, so we don't have to travel. Um, that's a good thing. But, yeah, it's Thursdays when you have to play those games are pretty tough. Yeah, and you got an opponent in here in Carolina that we'll get into in just a little bit. But tell me about being part of this running back room. You guys have split the carries up a little bit differently than in the past. How much more beneficial is that? in a situation like this where you do have a Thursday opponent after a Sunday game? It is very beneficial for us because since we're not not one person's taking the whole load of getting carries, uh, our body's a little bit more fresh. If it, Especially if it was later in the season, it'd be a lot better. But, you know, this would be in our third game. Our bodies be a lot fresh, and everyone knows the playbook. Everyone knows the game flow, so that helps out as well. Hey, how energized are you this time of year? Because it seemed like there's a, just a different vibe around this team when you, you see them interacting with each other, interacting with the coaches, and so on and so forth. How energized are you in this environment now? Oh, I'm very energized, very excited. Couldn't wait to get the season going. You know, we're doing really well. It was just a tough loss last week because of, you know, a lot of injuries. 
I mean, we were taking the Browns round for round yeah. throughout the, you know, the first half. And I'm very excited. You know, we have a good team, a lot of great veterans on this team and that everyone, you know, they know how to play. They know how to be professionals off the field and on the field. So I'm very excited. Yes, veterans all around. And then you have a rookie quarterback in Davis Mills. But there is still confidence with Mills based on what you saw in the second half, based on what you saw in the preseason, isn't there? Yes, for sure. Um, he's a smart guy. He's a guy that he has a lot of vets around him to, you know, try to take him under their wings, me included, to try to ease him in the starting role and get him ready to go for Thursday. Tell me about this Carolina defense. They're atop the league in fewest points allowed, atop the league in fewest yards allowed. Now it's two games, so you take all that with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, this is a good defense, isn't it? What stands out to you the most about that front here in Carolina? I think the biggest thing with them is they all know their role and they do it pretty well. They all know where to be at when they're blitzing. They have a lot of different blitzes. And like I said, every player does their role exceptionally well. Let's find out how you get powered up on game day. It's all sponsored by Reliance. So any superstitions, David Johnson, on game day? It's not really a superstition, more of a ritual. My biggest thing is that I always run to the end zone as we run out of the tunnel and just thank God, go and kneel on the opposite side of the end zone and just kneel and thank God for blessing me with this opportunity of playing the league, especially for this long as a running back, for everything he's done for me, you know, as well off the field with my beautiful family and everyone that's a part of my support staff. So that's probably my one and only thing. All right. How about the music? You got anything that you listen to on game day to get you ready? I listen to Christian Rap, Lecrae, NF, a lot of those guys. I listen to uh, those guys that get me pumped up and ready to go. Okay. Tell me about the meal. What are you eating? So it's a night game. It's a little different than a noon, which is what you guys are mainly playing in 2021. What do you eat? It's tough with the night game. Normal games, I don't eat too much. Maybe a PB&J, yeah. uh, maybe a granola bar or something. But with the night game, I, I have to eat. <laughs> sure. You know, with it being so late. So it'll be something light, you know, a light sandwich, maybe some chips or something like that, but nothing too heavy. How much do the butterflies flutter before an NFL game for you? Not anymore. No? As a young guy, oh, as a young guy, my butterflies, uh, I would be super anxious. Just really wanting to prove my worth in the NFL and now – it's not too much more, you know, relaxed, especially with a lot of veteran guys around me. We all, you know, talk, um, shoot the breeze, you know, just talk about our opponent. I'm a lot more relaxed now. All right. Without saying score more points, complete this sentence. The Texans will win this game if offensively we uh, are accountable and do our job, each person relying on each other. That's a tremendous answer and dead on. A big thanks to DJ, to Drew, to Mick Mixon, to Kristen Balboni, to Deepy, to Mark, to Coach Cully, to Nick Casario. Anybody I missed, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow night, everybody. And as always, go Texans. Texans. Texans.